0: You're listening to The Touch of Flavor Podcast, episode 34. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of
1: creatures made for life.
0: But isn't that, like, cheating?
1: We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
0: Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is The Touch of Flavor Podcast. Dating and relationship advice by Kingsters for Kingsters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now, your hosts, Cassie and Rigel.
1: Hey guys, so we've got our first uh, retroactive editing of a podcast episode here. So in this episode, we talk about how a friend of ours has a pacemaker and she had gone to her doctor and her doctor had okayed her with using a violet wand. This did happen. However, we had somebody reach out to us with some concern about that story that we told. And we reached out to three kinky people we know who are Medical professionals, one uh, EMT, and two doctors. And the general consensus is that if you have any kind of pacemaker, electrical play is not a good idea, whether that is a TENS unit or whether that is a violet wand. One of the answers actually included a lot of very technical information about studies that have been done involving pacemakers and TENS units, but it all boils down to, again, that that is essentially a bad idea. So we wanted to put that correction in here. And as always, Make sure that if you have any kind of serious medical condition that you are consulting your doctor about different activities that you may be doing.
0: You want me to just hop in?
1: I mean, you could talk if there's anything fun to talk about. I don't have nothing fun to talk about. Cassie says she ain't beating no bitches.
0: (sighs) I've been overworked and underplayed.
1: (laughs) Pretty sure you have some options. Going for you.
0: I've got options. It's time that I have problems with. Options are fine. (laughs) It's the time. Time limitations that are the problem, not the options. Just call me ludicrous.
1: Hose in different area codes? Yes. Is that what we're?
0: (laughs) Yes, that's what I'm bouncing.
1: Is that what you're bouncing to? (laughs) Yes. I can't start hose while, while we're on. I mean, I can. I just, I can't actually record it.
0: I've got hoes in different area codes, area codes.
1: You don't have as many area codes as you used to. I You're don't. slacking on area coding. <laughs> or maybe it's well. just towing in general.
0: <laughs> well, it also doesn't help that a lot of my hose are in the same area code. <laughs> the same area code.
1: <laughs> like, you clearly don't travel enough.
0: I don't travel enough.
1: We oh. need to we we need to set up some playtime. We we I feel so bad. We like put it on the table like two and a half weeks ago and have not come through. I feel like we're being pussy teases.
0: I I wouldn't say that. This this is more like inviting someone for a meal, being like, I cook a really, really awesome crab cake. I would like to hear how you like your crab cakes made oh, okay, this is how I make my crab cakes. Okay, we can make crab cakes we together. We should
1: definitely make crab cakes.
0: We should definitely make crab cakes, but you don't necessarily have to eat crab cakes that evening or no, even that week. No. It's okay.
1: No, I just think once you start pushing out, but so far,
0: I got you, should, you
1: should have some fucking crab cakes.
0: <laughs> can you tell what I really want to eat? <laughs> <laughs> crab cakes and pussy.
1: That's what I want to eat. We're going to have so much rambling that I'm going to cut, and I don't know how much of it I'm leaving in. So what's been going on? Anything interesting? No. I'm going to have to cut through all that shit. You no. guys like, no, I've just been working. I ain't been crab <laughs> Oh, my God. Somebody set some crab-cake time after we get off this podcast.
0: Figuratively and realistically.
1: Maybe just figuratively. I don't know.
0: Girl needs to get her crab-cakes.
1: It's going to be the worst code word ever.
0: <laughs> I don't know. If you're saying crab cakes, that can really
1: not go well. Okay.
0: Are you ready to podcast?
1: Now? How much of that do you think is usable?
0: Probably not any of it.
1: Bullshit.
0: <laughs> Certainly not me singing hoes in different area codes. I've got hoes in different area codes you have to say Ludacris is actually damn clever like if you listen to the words like he's got a lot of really good play on words gotta give it to Ludacris. like he's gonna show up for the hoedown like like there, there's there's some good shit in there are you good i am good I was just sitting here admiring Luder- Ludacris and his ability to be witty with his ho words. Okay,
1: then. And on that note, how do you transition from hoes? Can we even say hoes? Is that even like an acceptable word?
0: I, I don't know. I um, Yes. Hoes is acceptable. Just like slut is acceptable.
1: Slut is a term of endearment.
0: So's hoes. It really <laughs> depends on who you're talking to. So's Bitch. <laughs> So this little fucker. It really depends on who you're talking to. Words of endearment don't have to be sweet. Like, if you called me honey pie, I would take that as an insult. But if you're like...
1: Such words have never come out of my yeah, mouth. Yeah, but,
0: but what I'm saying is, though, is that if you called me like... Like, if you were like, you were the most, you know, dominant bitch I know, I'd be like, I kind of am. Thank you. Like, when my bestie calls me a mega bitch... I take that as a compliment. I'm like, yes, I am. I am the mega bitch. So I really think it's just how it's being applied. And I feel like in this way, "hose" is a word of endearment.
1: I still prefer slut. Because, you know, sluts are just people who know what they like.
0: But slut doesn't rhyme with hoedown.
1: (laughs) Ho doesn't rhyme with hoedown.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but it sounds good with it. So speaking of hoes... there has I been... want to see you make this transition. <laughs> I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to do it. You messed me up. You should have just let me go. So talking about hosts, one of the really challenging things as far as being someone who plays with people is being in a situation where you're injured or you are in some way not able to play, you're disabled or you have illness and you can't actually play with your partners. That was an awesome segue, wasn't it?
1: it was It was astounding. It was just <laughs> astounding. I uh, yeah, this is so this is mostly going to be you. So we've gotten some questions on this topic lately on the topic of playing and being a dominant type with injury. And this is actually a topic that Cassie's taught on for a while. So you're really going to run this episode, although I feel like now I have a lot more feedback than I did about a year ago, but I I actually feel like you have a lot more useful feedback.
0: So I used to teach a class, or I still teach it when people ask me to teach it, but it was called I'm Not Broken. And it was about having injuries and illness while being someone who participates in scening. And it wasn't just for dominant people. I have the perspective of a dominant, a top. And in my relationships, I take the uppercase as I like to say it, And I have lots of partners and I decided to do the class, not because I'm a doctor or a psychologist, I'm not, that's my little disclaimer, but because as someone who has gone through, well, a lot of shit, I started to realize that there was some things that you can do and things that are like a necessity for sustaining your power dynamics and even just your relationships. When you're going through, phases of injury or illness, especially if it's something that's chronic. So the thing about injuries and illness is it's kind of a shitty subject. Like none of us picture our dominant or our submissive being in that position. And for a lot of it, it's really hard for us to picture ourselves that way because it starts to throw off our dynamics, it starts to throw off our playtime, our interactions how we do things with our partners. And ideally that doesn't happen, right? Ideally we go through life and we don't have these things. And especially when it's something where it comes out of the blue, it can really kick us off our feet. It can do things as far as cause depression. It can affect our self-esteem and really affect our emotions in a way that drags down our relationships.
1: I think that the other important thing to realize too, is that, uh, if you've never had a partner who you know has an injury, whether it's temporary or chronic or some kind of chronic condition, you will at some point, right? That's kind of uh, kind of the way of such as life. Like you're going to at some point. So it's it's an important skill for all of us to learn, I think, as well. I mean, I went, you know, what, 10 of our years in the scene with nothing and then I got nailed by a car crossing the street last February, you know? So, if if you don't have a partner who has a condition or you know, you never have had a partner who has something like that, you will at some point. It's important to understand how to deal with that when it happens.
0: Especially as far as if you're with a partner for years and you guys get older, things start to unravel a little bit as you get older. So, if you're planning on being with someone long term, illness and injury is sort of a fact of life. And so where I'm coming from, so how I started kind of putting together these systems and, and, and things in place. Uh, first of all, I found out I had thyroid disease back in 2006 and that was kind of a nightmare. I have hypo. Everyone thinks I have hyper because of my, you know, my, my shape and everything, but I actually have hypo. So I'm always tired And then I had a car accident in 2009 and a car accident in 2010, which, you know, jacked up my back and my wrist and my knee. And all in all, I just have kind of a crappy immune system. And honestly, I have like the worst luck on the planet with things like.
1: (laughs) If a doctor is uttering the phrase, huh, I read about this in textbooks, but I never thought I'd actually run into it. They're probably talking about Cassie. (laughs) It's true. And I only say that because that's a phrase we've actually heard from doctors way too many times.
0: Yeah, so that's a little bit of my background. And and that's not even, you know, including the goofy things like getting bit by a black widow or dropping acid on my foot or anything like that. We'll just skip over the weird stuff. That stuff is uh, actually the normal stuff. And, and, and lastly, I started having hemiplegic migraines back in 2014, and that rocked our world for a couple of years just trying to figure out what was wrong. And during all of this, it really made things difficult in our relationship because we're we're pretty heavy players we're people who like to play, we like to grapple, we like to abduct people consensually and and do all that kind of stuff. So with going through this, it puts some unfun kinks in your life and It can really bring up a lot of negativity. You know, you can go through parts, uh, you know, periods of time where you are angry because you're not getting your sexual needs or your kink needs met. You can end up in situations where you're just frustrated with each other, either as the injured partner, being frustrated with your partner for not understanding your injury or your illness, or being that other partner who feels like they're missing something. And for both people, it's a lot of feeling of loss. I like to give the example of it's it's the small things uh, back when I had the car accident. I was sitting in the driveway. Oh God
1: it's not, it's <laughs> funny now It was funny actually for me. it was funny at the time in a depressing in a depressing, kind of funny way. So this is keep in mind <laughs> she didn't go into the car accident. If, if there's any of you who have known us for a long time, you may have seen pictures of this car accident like this was a situation where she had to be cut out of the car and it took them like 20 minutes to cut her out of the car like while she's minutes. 36 minutes to cut her out of the car. So if you haven't seen photos that, that gives you kind of the general idea and this is now months later years maybe years
0: no at that point it was about six seven months
1: six seven months a few surgeries and and all this stuff later. And we're sitting in the driveway uh, at our house where we were living at the time. And go ahead.
0: And I was trying to be positive because I was at a point where they were talking about maybe having to have another surgery and I was kind of upset about that and I was still in a lot of pain, but I was trying to be positive and I was like, well, at least I can still finger chicks. And I went to move my fingers in the come hither motion that you do when you're fingering somebody. And I realized that my dominant hand, which was the hand that I had all the surgeries on and everything, did not function the way that it did before. And she lost it, lost it. So after months and months of holding it together fairly well, I lost it. I started bawling. I was like, I can't finger people the right way. And the left hand is just not as good as the right but it was... And
1: I was not incredibly helpful in this situation because my my response was, are you serious? Seriously? Months of surgeries and this is finally where... Are, are you serious? And that was actually the situation I was like, don't you have a left hand? And you were like, it's just
0: not as good as the right hand. <laughs> so it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you're expecting to be this huge thing. It can pop up in small areas and and cause you a lot of distress. So it's really, really, really important that you are prepared. So we can't prepare for everything, you know, life happens, but to at least have an idea of who's going to be taking care of me if something happens, how am I going to handle this? And it's even more important to be prepared if you know that you have an illness, especially if it's a chronic illness, to be prepared and to prepare yourself and your partners or how that might affect your life. So if you're somebody who has something that in a way that disables you or causes you problems regularly, knowing sort of how to judge yourself and also to explain it to your partners and being able to have conversations around what that looks like. And this is important because, as I said, you can end up being angry and there can be some really nasty fights about sex. Like, I know us personally, when I was going through things, we had a lot more arguments. Like, I fight more when I'm not getting laid. And you can't see it, but Rigel shaking his head. I do. I'm, I'm. A big
1: exaggerated. Man, she had this time that she had to have a very minor surgery and she couldn't have sex for like a month.
0: Yeah, I wanted to kill people. So because you don't have your needs being met um a lot of times when we're going through this stuff we're not getting our needs met because we're working on fixing the illness or the injury versus the things that are enjoyable in life so it's a lot easier to end up in sort of that emotion of anger or frustration you're got shorter nerves when you when you're not getting your orgasms you have shorter nerves or maybe that's just me but i think that happens for a lot of people and it can start to really shift the power dynamic as well, because you get into situations where you as a dominant might need to be taken care of by your submissive, not in like a, oh, I'm sexually being served, but like, I can't carry this bag because I had a wrist surgery. And so it can really end up sort of psychologically messing up the dynamic that you have going on. And it can go the other way as like a submissive who can't serve or can't bottom
1: or has to be taken care of
0: or has to be taken care of. Like your, your dominant may have to take on a role of cooking or doing chores that normally you do as a service. And you should like your partner should take care of you in those, in those circumstances, but it can really affect the the power dynamic and really affect how you feel about yourself. And it can really affect your self-esteem in your own relationships. It can make you feel bad, like you're not being a good partner simply because you can't fit into the role that you normally do. So one of the things I like to sort of bring into this, and it's not my theory, it's actually by Christina, and I cannot say her last name, Miserinadio. No, Uh
1: I don't know, but I feel like it's kind of made it into common parlance, especially in the alternative community.
0: Yeah. But I want to give it credit for who came up with it, but she came up with spoon theory and she was someone who had lupus and was dealing with, um, you know, all of the, the problems, the health issues around it. And I think that it's a very good theory to apply to injury and illness. Um, you can apply it in other areas of life as well, but particularly when you're facing a serious injury, a serious illness, something that is chronic, to kind of look at your spoons. And the best way to sort of give an example of that is each person wakes up every day with spoons, right? And and say, for instance, that the average person wakes up with 10 spoons. Why
1: is it called spoon three? I never did consider this. Why oh, is do you, it spoons? Do you want me to tell you the story? Yeah.
0: Okay, so Christina had lupus and she- had all kinds of medications. And the story goes, if you look it up on her website, we'll put a link in the, in the thing. She had a bunch of medications and someone that she was trying to explain her chronic illness, because they didn't understand why she was tired, why she was overworked. And she picked up the spoons and she was talking about how each spoon is for a different thing. You know, it's for a different medication, but a different aspect of life. So say for instance, Uh, everyone starts off with 10 spoons. At the beginning of the day, everyone has 10 spoons. But if you have lupus or you have thyroid disease or you have cancer or you have something, you might start off your day not even with 10 spoons. You might start off your day with six spoons or eight spoons. So you start off your day with the amount of spoons that you have. It's the amount of energy, the focus, and the ability to do things. That's what spoons are. So you have these spoons. And as you go through your day, you spend your spoons. So sort of like the medication analogy, once you use a spoon on a certain medication, it's all used up, right? You can't go back and use that spoon until it's washed again, which would be going to bed and getting rest and recuperating. Basically, throughout a day, you use up your spoons. So some of us might start off with 10 spoons if we're the average person. If you're super energetic person or super healthy person, maybe you start with 15 spoons. Maybe you're super lucky. And then there's some of us who start with our, our our less spoons, but throughout the day we spend them. And for each of us, certain activities cost us different types of spoons. So for one person going for a hike might only be one spoon, but say someone who has cancer, just getting up out of bed might be two spoons. So that's sort of the the spoon theory.
1: Well, and I, I think it's important to realize that you can start different days off with different spoons. So. Like for me, I'm one of those people who I might have 15 spoons on a normal day, but I also might have some of my injuries from the car accident flare up, and I might start the day with like seven spoons. So it it really, or (laughs) really, really depends on how bad. So yeah, so it you you can start different, you know, same person can start off different days with different amounts of spoons as well.
0: Yeah, so like I would say that sometimes I'm a low spoon person, and sometimes I'm a little higher of a spoon person. So basically, your spoons are the ability you have to invest time and energy into activities and things in life. So I like to give the example of saying that, you know, if I woke up in the morning with 10 spoons, like dealing with, you know, doing stuff for a touch of flavor, my business, that's probably five spoons. I've got a teenage son right off the bat. That's probably like two spoons just dealing with the teenage kid. And then I have my partners and that might be an additional two or three spoons. So at the end of the day, I might only have One more spoon to do certain things with. So it's really important for you to have an idea of what activities and things that you do cost you. So if you're chronically ill or you have a a chronic uh, injury, to judge that. If I do this, how will it affect me later? For example, I have a knee injury. I realize that if I go hiking, Today or rock climbing today, tomorrow I'm probably not gonna be doing a whole lot else aside for icing my knee and and sitting on the couch. So it's important to realize what it is that it's going to cost you. And the thing is, is that sometimes it might be worth it. Like me being able to hike and, you know, when we're on vacation and see different sites and things like that, it is totally worth it to me to go and wear out my knee and have a sit day. But then there might be things that aren't worth it to you. Like you may not have the energy to do X, Y, and Z, and Z might not be worth it to you. So it's good to have an idea of what things cost you and kind of rank the important things. And when I say important things, I'm not just talking about the necessities like your laundry or getting fed the things in life that fulfill you, making the time and giving the energy to those things that are going to feed you back. And when I say cost, there's a couple of things to take in consideration. First of all, what's it going to cost you in pain? Obviously, that's the first thing we go to when we're talking about injuries and illnesses. What is it going to physically cost you as far as pain or, or suffering? Then the second thing is, what is it going to cost you as far as what you can do later? Energy. Energy. Spoons. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then when you're doing it to think of if it's actually worth it to you. So for me, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about camp coming up, stuff like that. And I realize, yes, camp is coming up. I'm going to beat some people, but I realize at camp, like camp is a great example. Cause it's a couple of days of nothing but play and doing stuff like that. And this
1: year it's like six
0: yeah, we're going the whole time. So I need to really make sure that I'm paying attention to my spoons because in camps past, we've gone for three or four days and it's a huge drain. I love it. I'm not complaining. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but I'm going two to three days longer than we have before. So I need to judge what I'm doing. So for example, I might not do a hard scene the first day I'm there, or I might.
1: Or you may, we did an abduction, like the first day we were at camp last time.
0: We did. And then the next day was more of a rest day. So it really is going to be something that you're going to have to judge as far as what is it going to do? And there was a scene that I did with Rigel that was a very heavy impact scene. And I really wanted to do it. It was a ton of fun, but- at the same time, I realized that the next day I wasn't going to be any good at like flogging or doing a whole lot of like serious, intricate play with my wrist because after doing a heavy impact scene, that wasn't going to happen. So it's really judging it and figuring out the things that you want to apply it to. An example of this is at one point we sanded our whole bed and I spent hours sanding. And then I sucked for like four days and we ended up going to a play party. I didn't even get laid. Huh?
1: I said, and you didn't even get laid.
0: No, I didn't get laid. This is the moral of the story. That's what I was getting to. So we went to a play party and after sanding for three days, we went to a play party and I wasn't really able to play. So some people might say having the bed sanded and done might've been worth it because the bed was done. For me, honestly, looking back on it, I wish I would not have spent all that time standing the bed and would have conserved some time so that way I could have hit Rigel a little more that evening. So it's really judging those things and making sure that you don't have regret around the decisions that you make and the sacrifices that you make on your body and on your spirit so that way later on you can be happy with those decisions. So... As the person who has less spoons, there's a couple of things you want to keep in mind. The first is don't do things that are going to cost you too many spoons and are going to cause you to not be able to take care of yourself. So if you realize that something is going to get in the way of you, you know, functioning the next day and, and you need to, like you need to go to work tomorrow, maybe pass that up. So say no to things that are going to cost you too many spoons And you know, it is so be honest with yourself. Like, is this something that I should be doing? Is this going to happen? So the first thing is you really want to be honest with yourself and you want to be honest with the people that you're playing with. Nobody wants to be that partner that ends up hurting you or injuring you or making you more ill. And that's a really tough place to be as far as a partner is finding out that you did something not intentionally (laughs) been there, done that. Yeah, not intentionally because you didn't know. So you want to be honest with your partners. You want to let them know what your health stuff is. It should be part of your basic negotiations to begin with. But regardless of negotiations, it's something that you should keep current and fill your partners in. And the other thing is, is that if you are spending a lot of spoons and you are consistently doing it over a long period of time and overspending your spoons, it will catch up with you. So if you're doing a lot of stuff that's taking away from your care, say you need physical therapy or you need to take medication or you need to do whatever. And this isn't just a play thing. This isn't just a relationship thing. This is a life thing. If you're not doing the things that you need to do to keep yourself healthy and in a good place, it will eventually catch up to you.
1: Have no comment on what may or may not have happened this past week.
0: Have a confession.
1: I don't know. Are we making a kangi? <laughs> Never did do that nun scene. Um, No, you know, I we, we, we had a very busy touch of flavor week last week. We had certain things that had to be done. And I kept putting off. I've been doing, like, my injuries have actually been doing spectacular, like, finally over the last few months. And I kept putting off my exercises that I'm supposed to do. And I kept saying I'd get to it, and I'd get to it, and I'd get to it. And I had one night last week where I was like, I told Cassie's like, I really, actually, and Amanda, I was like, I really, really should do this tonight but I'm super tired of doing all this stuff. I'll do it tomorrow. And then woke up the next day with my back killing me. And I totally did it to myself. So
0: Yeah. And so you want to make sure that you're doing the things you need to do because it will catch up to you. So spend your spoons wisely and make sure that you take care of yourself. And I want to put something out there to other folks. And it can be your partner. You know, you could be the partner or the friend. You know who you are. And you're that person who is the do-gooder, the person who's trying to help your friends or trying to help out and you really care, shut up. Um, A lot of us who are in states of having chronic injury or chronic illness, we have talked to many doctors. We have talked to lots of specialists. And I understand that maybe some herbal ointment that you came across that your aunt tried helped her out But really keep your thoughts about pain management and people's medication to yourself. As someone who has chronic injuries and chronic illness, I can't tell you how annoying it is when I have like I have specialists working on my hemiplegic migraines. I can't stand someone to come up and be like, well, you know, it's worked for my headaches. Take two Tylenols, a sip of whiskey, and then stand in ice. It works really good for migraines. True story. I had someone tell me this. And I'm like, bitch, please. No, like I've gone to like, I go to a migraine center that specializes in the type of migraines that I have. I've done a lot of work around making sure that I maintain my migraines. I don't need advice from someone who has no idea what it is. And- Or
1: the other end of that is somebody telling you what is not working for your pain, even though it is working.
0: Yeah, well, that was the whole conversation. I had someone tell me, that because I get Botox injections, they were like, well, you don't need Botox. Like you're putting toxins into your body. You should come off Botox and you should take Tylenol and whiskey and stand in ice.
1: I was talking about some conversations you've had with people around acupuncture.
0: Yeah, and and there's been a lot of people who have said things like, well, acupuncture is just voodoo.
1: It's just a placebo. Yeah. Fucking cares. If it works, it works.
0: It works. So do your partners, your friends, your folks a favor and let them treat their, their stuff.
1: Okay, so we're going to get into a minute into talking about playing around injury and illness. Um, but I want to talk about, you know, Cassie talked about spoon theory. I want to talk about one other thing that I've found very helpful. So, you know, as somebody who's had a partner who's had very consistent health issues, it's very easy for that stuff to turn into after a while, right? Not when it first happens, but after a while and years of stuff for stuff to turn into arguments and gripes and hard feelings and um, things along those lines. So I want to bring in something that I found a while ago that I think is very helpful. And it's something that it is not as prevalent as spoon theory, which actually surprises me quite a bit. But it's called ring theory. And um, there's only a couple of articles on it that I've seen. But it was put out in 2013 by this this uh, psychologist named Susan Silk, who had, uh, well, and and her and her partner, I think, and she had breast cancer, and they wound up putting out this article. Um, and it was actually, it was in the Los Angeles Times. I'll link to it in in the show notes at touchflavor.com forward slash 034. But the article was called, How Not to Say the Wrong Thing. And I'm going to, you know, basically it talks about how when uh, when when somebody's in distress, and they're hurting, and, you know, say somebody like Cassie has a condition, you know, it's not just Cassie's hurting. The people around her are hurting as well. But it's very easy to bitch the wrong direction for, like, me to complain about how this is making me feel to Cassie, who's got her own just mess of worse stuff to deal with than I do. So ring theory is, to sum it up for you, it's very simple. It's you take a piece of paper, and you draw a circle in the middle, and In that circle, you put the name of the person who's in crisis, the person who's undergoing the health problems, who has the cancer, who's been in the accident, whatever the case may be. And then around that, you draw a ring. And in that ring, you write the people who are closest to that person. So, you know, husband, wife, kids, that kind of thing. And then you draw another ring and you write the next set of people who are closest. Um, You know, maybe parents or aunts, uncles, very close friends. And you keep going out until you... Uh, you have this thing. Basically, it looks like a like a target, like a like a archery bullseye that you'd think of. You know, so you have like concentric rings. I probably pronounced that word wrong. It's one of those words that I know how to read, not how to pronounce. So, and 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 it's very simple. And and the way that it works is once you have this, you have a, a bitching order, basically, of of how you're allowed to bitch. And the idea is that you're only you're allowed to vent as much as you want, but you're only allowed to vent into rings that are further out than yours. Yes. So you dump out and you comfort in. So you don't gripe at somebody who's in a ring that's smaller than yours. You only provide comfort. And anytime you need to, anytime you do need to gripe, you vent out into one of the larger rings. Um, I found that to be one of the most helpful, like simple. I love like things that are like simple exercises that work really well. And I found that to be an incredibly helpful tool.
0: You like things that have graphics.
1: I like things that have graphics. I like systems. I like things that are very easily systemized. So I'll link to that in the show notes. I just uh, summed it up for you. Pretty decent. Um, But I'll I'll link to that in the show notes for you. And it's like I said, it's it's, it's very helpful to do.
0: So we're going to talk about play because even us folks that have injury and illness, we want to play. We want to get our sexy on. So how can we still do that? Especially when things are chronic, right? So... I constantly have the conversation with people that folks see me and they see me out at a dungeon or they see me at a play party and they're like, oh my goodness, blah, 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 blah. I thought you were ill. I thought you were sick. And there's this idea that when we have problems, we're just supposed to like tuck ourselves away and disappear. And that's not how it is. We want to be able to get out. We want to be able to play. We want to be able to be our authentic selves. And so... There's a couple of things that you want to do. And the first is if it's something that can affect a person that's playing with you or affect your play or affect you during play, you need to let that person know. And I mentioned that before, but you really, 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 really need to let the person know in play if it's going to be something that could affect what's going on. So if you have an injury that could possibly get worsened, if you have a condition where Uh, say you might pass out or something because of it. You need to let the person that you're playing with know it's very good practice when you're negotiating, as I said before, to bring in that you have injuries and make sure that you make it a point to point that out to the person and explain it in in enough detail that they understand what can and cannot be done. So the thing that I want to tell other people who don't necessarily have injuries and illnesses When, if you're a top or a bottom and you're negotiating with somebody, ask, ask what their injuries are, ask what their illnesses are. Even if you're a bottom and you're playing with a top, it's a good idea to get an idea of what injuries that person has. So that way you can protect yourself and you can protect your partners. And one of the things that is sort of a misconception is that if you are chronically ill or you have an illness that other people Automatically, you're going to see it, and the thing is, is that like there is invisible illness. It's a thing. It's true. It's real. If you walked up to me and looked at me on the street, you wouldn't know that I had thyroid disease or I had hemiplegic migraines or that I've been in a whole bunch of car accidents. You wouldn't know that just by looking at me. So it's important for those folks who have partners and are interacting with partners to ask to be. Uh, open to it, and also not to like reject the idea and be like, "Oh well, you're fine because you look fine. You want to make sure that you're being open to it because the person who looks like they're at the peak of their health could actually really, really, really be injured or really be ill. You want to make sure you're not just brushing it off like and 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 treating it like it's not a real thing because you don't see it, so I actually had a friend who had a bunch of uh surgeries and things like that done to them and there was folks who would be like well you're fine what do you mean you're too tired to play what do you mean you're too ill or you don't feel good or whatever and it was strictly out of their sight not out of reality it was things that she had gone through she had gone through a ton of surgery she has done all kinds of things And just because you couldn't see it didn't mean that that wasn't something that could affect her and also affect her play. That being said, just because someone is chronically ill or just because they're injured doesn't mean that they're completely off limits. I've seen people play who have cancer, who have had back surgeries, who have gone through a lot of different things and were still able to play. Uh, I have a friend who I used to play with a while back I uh, loved to, to flog her. She was awesome and gorgeous and cute, but she had had some major spinal like fusions done. She had like a 12 inch titanium rod put into her spine. And although there was certain things that she couldn't do, most of it she could. And a lot of people didn't want to play with her simply because they found out she had back surgery. So just because someone's gone through stuff doesn't mean that all plays off from them. So don't automatically just scrape somebody off your playlist simply because they have an injury or an illness. What that means is that you guys need to negotiate a little bit more, have a little bit more deeper of a conversation, and go from there. Might mean there might be some things that you can't do, but it's not undoable. So when you're playing, uh, going back to that idea of how you're using your spoons. Take responsibility for the spoons that you're spending as the person who's doing it. Also, as the partner who's helping to spend those spoons, take some responsibility. For example, with my knee, I love to ride door sex. I have a lot of fun being on top and doing all that stuff. And I'll still do it. I'll do it because it's fun and it's exciting. But I know that my knee is going to be kind of jacked up the next day. But Rigel and I both know that maybe later the next day, I might not be able to go for a walk or I might not be able to go grocery shopping the next day, but it's worth it. So as my partner, Rigel is willing to kind of let some things go and and help out or chip in when I've used spoons for our time together. Also, I realize that. So if I'm going to do something, I'm going to make sure that I'm being responsible. If I have something else that I need to do that maybe tomorrow might suck. So it's really about judging that. And when you're playing, some of the things that is very helpful is to possibly check in with your partner a little bit more, check on them if it's necessary. So if there's an injury or something like that, and you guys are kind of exploring, doing stuff around that or doing things, to check in with your partner, say, hey, is this okay? Don't be too domly to ask your partner if they're okay. And don't be too proud of a submissive to not say anything either. You you need to speak up if, if something's not working for you. And that might mean having to change things up. So you may have to give a little or take a little just because like you can't do everything doesn't mean you can't do some of it. So you might find that you get into play, say you have something, you know, say you're Rigel and you're you have a little bit of a back injury. You might get into something and find that it's You can't too,
1: grab me by the head. <laughs> like, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, we we you, had a situation where we were like kind of being grapply and stuff and I I grabbed you by the head and 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 Rigel said,
1: "Ow." I mean, <laughs> not a great idea.
0: <laughs> that was the words. "Ow, not a great idea." And I said, cool, right? But that didn't mean that we had to stop playing, right? Like that didn't mean that like we had to like completely just stop the scene completely and, and say the hell with scening and, and, and me getting my pussy eaten later. Like, no, I just needed to stop yanking on his head as much. So just be honest, be checking in and be willing to be flexible. It's really important when you're dealing with somebody who has injuries, who has illness to be flexible. Don't be stuck in this idea that play or an activity has to look exactly a certain way. There's a lot of breathing room. I had a friend who loved to get spanked and she had to have a procedure done and she couldn't actually have, you're wondering, you're wondering who I'm talking about.
1: I'm Um, I'm wondering about what you're about to say that happened that they couldn't get spanked.
0: They had to have a piece of their colon removed. So she had a procedure done. With her colon and couldn't get spanked on her butt, but her thighs were fail game, you know? So, like, you can still find things to do. You can work around, like, maybe you can't smack someone's bottom. Maybe you can't twist a nipple, but you can pinch a thigh. Be willing to be flexible. Use your imagination. Like, there is a whole body there and you can do a lot of things. When you're playing with injury, One of the things that I like to suggest is actually not only telling the person, but marking the area, especially if you're in a situation where you're playing with somebody that you haven't played with a ton because you're not that familiar, it's not at the top of your mind. Or if you're going to be doing like a serious sort of like takedown scene or an abduction scene, something where there's a lot going on, it's a good idea to mark that area I like doing things like sticking sticky notes on people. I kid you not, sticky notes are awesome.
1: Yeah, but not very durable.
0: They work pretty well, actually. I've used sticky notes quite a few times.
1: What are some alternatives to sticky notes?
0: So you can use duct tape. Duct tape works for everything. You can make yourself and a little much eggs. more durable. It's much more durable. But what I will say is the reason why I like sticky notes is because sticky notes for those people who are allergic to adhesive, sticky notes don't bother you as much. So that's why I stick that in there.
1: But if you're not allergic to adhesive,
0: much less likely to fall off. And probably more fun to take off. The other option is you can use a hanky. So if it's an arm that's off limits. It to be a limb. Yeah, it, it's more for limbs. Or maybe
1: a neck. You could use it for a neck.
0: Yeah, you can put it around... Around things like obviously, if it's like your back or your butt or something like that, it's gonna be harder. But an ankle, if it's an ankle, you put it around the ankle, if it's a knee, you put it where the knee is and have that be like a brightly colored thing so that way it's easy to see and it's fresh in your mind. Especially like some of the takedown scenes that we've done, I've recommended for people who have like a wrist or a finger that isn't a good one to bend to put a hanky on it because then you see it. You see the bright yellow or red or green, whatever color you have, hanky there. And it's a constant like, that's not the place to grab. That's not the thing to hit. And so kind of marking the area. And it doesn't have to be any of these things. Heck, you can use a Sharpie marker if you really want to. But make sure that, especially if you're playing with somebody who hasn't played with you a lot or you haven't played with who has an injury, to mark the area. So that way you don't forget you don't want to end up in a situation where you thought it was the left arm and it was the right arm because that can be a really bad day. So those are some tips on how to handle it. And what I really want to say is is that it's it's really important to remember that the person that you're playing with, the person that you're in a relationship with, is a person. They're going to have, uh, you know, it's as as Rachel said in the beginning, Joe, it's going to happen. So be kind, be generous be willing to work with each other. It's really important. And another thing that's important is if you're finding that you have a chronic illness or you have chronic injury, and actually, even if you don't, I recommend seeing a kink-friendly primary doctor. We have one uh, we go to. He's super awesome. He knows we're kinky. He knows we're poly. We're able to go in and say, hey, We want STI testing because we're adding a new partner and it's not a big deal. It's like, oh, that's cool. Also, I've been able to like tell my doctor, like I hurt my elbow when I was grappling with my partner and it's not a big deal. Or, hey, how is this going to affect my flogging hand now that I've had surgery? It's a serious conversation that I've had.
1: Or, you know, going to your physical therapist and being like,
0: I want to work on my pussy fingers. I flat out told my physical therapist that because we were doing all this like stuff with my wrist and my hand, but we weren't really focusing on my middle finger and my pointer finger. We were just like working on the whole hand. And I'm like, no, dude, look, it is super important for these two fingers to be fully functional. And I want to add they're fully functional once more. But it's a really awesome idea if you can to find at least a kink friendly primary doctor your specialists, if you can find specialists that are kink-friendly, do at it. at
1: least your primary. But, yeah. And if you go to the show notes at atouchoflavor.com forward slash 034, we'll link to the NCSF's uh, Kink Aware Professionals directory. And they have, depending on the area, and uh, a lot of times you can find a kink-friendly primary doctor somewhere around you.
0: And if you don't have one, if you can't find one or a specialist, because specialists can be a little harder, make sure it's somebody that you feel open talking to. And it doesn't mean that you have to go completely into every detail, but someone that you can be honest with, for instance, you could, that you feel that you could go in and say, Hey, I do MMA and I'm going to be tossed around a little bit. Is this going to harm me? Is this dangerous for me? You can use examples like that, but you want to go to someone who isn't going to think that, you know, you're being beat at home or that there's an issue there or that you're crazy. You want to go to somebody who, you feel is at least open enough for you to have some serious conversations. So that way you can ask about what kind of limitations you actually have. And it's really important to ask because a lot of times us who are going through things with like chronic pain and injury tend to limit ourselves far more than we actually have to. So ask, you want to be able to ask, at least compare it to something that is similar. Like if it's MMA fighting or Saying that you box or whatever, but something that's comparable so that way you can actually ask what the activity is going to do if you do it. Because a lot of times you might find out that it is not actually a problem. I actually had a friend a while back who used to do no electrical play at all. She didn't do any of it, even though she loved it because she had a heart surgery and she had a pacemaker put in. So she was like, oh gosh, pacemaker, electricity. I'm never going to do it again. Finally, she started seeing somebody that a primary that she felt open enough to talk to and was like, So I like electrical play. I like violent wands. What can I do? And come to find out, she had been avoiding one of her favorite kinds of play for like five years and she didn't have to. She's just not allowed to use electricity on her chest. Like there was a whole other part of her body that she could. And you're not going to know unless you ask your doctor, because every single illness, every single uh, injury is going to be different. So you want to be able to go to somebody that you can be honest and ask. So that way you're not taking things off your plate that you don't have to take off your plate because injury and illness suck enough as it is with not being able to do things you actually can't do with adding in things that are things you don't have to take off your plate sucks even more.
1: All right, guys, thank you for joining us today. So we just want to give you a little disclaimer. So we have a lot of stuff going on right now. Uh, We're running our own coaching program on Mastery Open Relationships. We are currently in a coaching program ourselves because we're always looking to better ourselves. And we've also got camp coming up here as well, and we're going to be gone for a week as well. So we're going to try and step on the podcast, but we just want to give you a head up that it is likely to be a little more sporadic for the next few weeks. And we just wanted to uh, be upfront and give you guys that expectation.
0: So, thanks for listening. Be a little patient with us. We love you guys, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at a touch of slash ask or leave us a voicemail at 833 ask tof one. What episode is this?
1: All I can see now are your tits. You're going to have to talk with your boobs. What podcast episode?
0: <laughs> <laughs> as far as drama, this is the way I am. I'm like. I don't want to be involved in drama, but if you have drama that I find amusing, I will pop myself some popcorn, get myself a Coke, sit back, relax, and watch the show.
1: This really isn't the right song. Every
0: day is a ho day <laughs>
1: And do you know that this entire message thread right now, it has shared photos and the entire thing is people's tits. And about 15 mermaid porn pictures.
0: Tits and mermaid porn. That sounds awesome. My life is perfect.
1: The most ADHD podcast episode we've (laughs) ever had.
0: I'm trying to stay on point, man. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying.